Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, if you looked around, especially on towards this front row right here, you might notice that Pastor Scott and family are out of town. They went up to Colorado to see their oldest, Seth, um, who's in the military. So they went to go visit him this weekend. Such a good weekend to be able to do that. So they took off and did that. Uh, and we're so glad that they can do that. Um, and, and since they're gone, uh, we have an amazing speaker for you this morning. This person, anytime I hear them preach, I got to tell you, challenges me uh, on not just on a spiritual level, but challenges me uh, on an intellectual level. And I just think that she's going to bring a great message to us this morning. Pastor Heather, would you come and share with us what God has laid on your heart this morning? Well, thank you. Talk about putting the pressure on, huh? Thanks a lot, Chris. So I really thought I would... uh, I'm good, Daniel. I'm going to start off with a funny story, so that might be kind of awkward. Have a little praise music in the background. I like to kind of just have you guys laugh at the beginning, especially today. The message is going to be a little hard. Just going to give you a warning. Um, Anytime I preach it to you guys, please understand, I have to go through it first. So I understand the challenge that God is going to give you guys this morning. So I want to give you guys a funny story first. So I went to the movie um, two weeks ago with my sister. Now it's been a little while since I've been to the movies, but not so long that um, I should have been surprised. This is a movie theater I've never been to before. It's one of these really fancy ones. Has anybody else gone to like a super fancy movie? So I got to the seat and um, I'm trying to figure out how to get it to recline, right? It's one of those. And I accidentally pushed this button and these red lights come on. And I'm like, oh no. Somebody's going to come trying to give me popcorn or whatever. And I couldn't get it to turn back off. I'm kind of like in this panic mode, like, it's not working. All of a sudden, my seat gets warm. Has anybody else been to a theater where they have seat warmers? For real, it was the most amazing thing ever. I don't even think I watched the movie. I just sat there and, like, took a nap in seat warmer bliss. I was like, this is so awesome. But before any of that happened, I get to the theater, and it's one of these where they have a buffet in the middle. So you got get your popcorn, they have the fountain drinks, they have all the snacks, but there's really no clear direction as to what you're supposed to do. So I get the guy to sta- scan the ticket on my phone, and I'm probably just standing there like, I don't know what to do. And if you've been anywhere lately, there's always about 10 teenagers that are working, but they're not actually doing anything. No offense. No offense to you guys. So they're just sitting there staring at me like, could you please do something? So I pick a side. Like, this looks safe. I go over. I get some popcorn. And then I see the, photo, uh, the soda machine in the back. And go get a Dr. Pepper. So I go to the first machine. Clear liquid comes out. Second machine. Clear liquid comes out. I'm like, are you kidding me? Pour it back out. Third machine, same thing. Finally, I get to the fourth Dr. Pepper machine. Put my cup under. A little nervous. Comes out brown liquid. But I'm a diehard Dr. Pepper fan. So I'm going to do what any sane person does. I'm going to do a little taste test. So I tested it first. It was good. So I put it back under and I feel it to the top. Apparently, you're not supposed to do the 
those things these days because I'm getting the look from all those teenagers. They're like little meerkats. What is she doing? So I just like put my lid on, and then my sister sends me a message. She's like, hey, get me a Coke Icy. I don't drink Icy's. I've never done one of these machines. Normally they do it for you. So I go over, I put it, and I push the little tap. It goes everywhere. It like explodes. I mean, I can't make this up, guys. It was awful. So I'm trying to get napkins, and I can't find lids. And then I left my popcorn, like, four Dr. Pepper machines back. So I'm like, okay, got my Dr. Pepper, got the Coke Icy. This really sweet couple is just trying to get their Cokes out of the fountain machine. I'm like, I'm just going to grab my popcorn. Thanks. My hands are full. And then on the way to the checkout, because you have to, like, go to this through this little line, I see trolley gummy worms. You have to have trolley gummy worms. So I'm doing like the awkward T-Rex arm because I'm holding so much stuff. And I get up to the counter and I just kind of like throw it all down. This poor girl, she just, I think she was like, just go. At this point, please just go. I mean, she still made me pay for it. But her face was like, just get out of here. It was a really awkward, uncomfortable situation for all of us. Have any of you guys ever been in just a really awkward? If you haven't, you're about to get the opportunity to. So I took the liberty of looking up some things on the internet that make people uncomfortable. Okay, are you ready? Number one, when the seam at the toes of your sock is not perfectly aligned with your shoe and you can feel it every time you walk. That pinky toe just right there on the edge, it gets you every single time. Number two, when you're wearing a coat and you start to get warm, and you sweat on the inside of the coat, but it's still cold outside. This is the story of my life. Okay, three, eating in front of someone who isn't eating. I don't know who made this list. That's definitely not a problem for me. If you don't want to eat, that's on you. I'm eating. Number four, when people are singing happy birthday to you, and you don't know where to look or what to do. Is that not the most awkward thing? Especially if you're at a restaurant and they get the entire wait staff, and then there's random people in the restaurant that start singing to you too. You kind of sit there like, do I sing with them? Most time you just sit there with this smile like, I think they're almost done. Oh, yep, yep, still going. Okay. Number five, washing your hands while wearing a long sleeve shirt. You walk around with that wet ring for hours. It just never seems to dry. Number six, stepping in water while you're wearing socks. This is my nemesis. So we have two large black labs. One is still a puppy, and I swear she has holes in her jaw. So whenever she goes to, like, drink the water, as soon as she turns and walks away, it's just like, and it never fails. It's like the end of the day. I've got my socks on. I'm, like, getting ready to go to bed. I walk in the kitchen. It's like, I'm like, worst. All right, number seven, seeing a co-worker outside of work. I'm like, oh, Pastor Chris is on aisle two. I'm not getting bread today. Sorry, guys. Just come back next week. I didn't realize that was a thing. Luckily, I don't have very many co-workers, so I guess we're okay. Number eight, seeing a marriage proposal get rejected. Maybe that relationship was a little one-sided, huh? Like, oh, it's rough. All right. These last two guys, they're really uncomfortable, and I questioned if I should even say them, but I, 
I feel like I have to. That awkward split-second eye contact in the gap between bathroom stalls. <laughs> nope. We could take it a step further and say when someone accidentally opens the stall door on you, that's much worse. <laughs> okay, there's, there's one more. Using the toilet right after someone else and the seat is vaguely warm. It's like it feels nice, but it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I had to do it. I needed to see that look on all of your faces. If you didn't have that look, I'm concerned. And we're going to pray about that after church. But why am I trying to make you uncomfortable this morning? Because I want you to be comfortable in your uncomfortableness. The message the Lord has laid on my heart this morning is going to make you uncomfortable. I know. He's been making me uncomfortable all week while I've been going through my study. But I've never been more thankful that God took the time to make me uncomfortable. He challenged me this week, and I pray that you guys are challenged as well. I'm telling you, everybody up here almost preached my message this morning. So I think God is trying to tell us something. If you have your Bibles with you this morning... We are going to be in Judges chapter 6. Now, I went into this study to come up with a message of encouragement of how to be strong in the world that we live in today. And the Lord gave me that, but it was in a very different way than I thought. If you guys will just pray with me this morning, let's just pray that God speaks to our hearts. Lord, I just pray right now, God. I pray that you make our hearts receptive to your word. I pray that you use me, God, to deliver the words that your people need to hear. God, you know our every thought, our every fear, doubt, failure. God, I pray that all of those are left here today. As we come out of hiding, God, and we reach out to you, I pray, Lord, that we can leave it all at the altar and that we can put it, you back in your rightful place. And everyone said, amen. All right, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. We're going to stop right there. The message that I am preaching to you guys today is called Come Out of Hiding. For those of you guys that are taking notes, so here we have the Israelites 
who have forsaken God once again for idol worship. This is a common theme in the book of Judges. It goes back and forth. You can read them doing this many, many times. So for seven years, the Midians had the Israelites scared and hiding in caves and clefts in the mountains. They are poor, hungry, homeless, hopeless, and tired of hiding, so they cry out to God to save them. But before God could send them a warrior, he had to send a prophet. The people expected a deliverer. God sent them a message of repentance. They first needed to repent from their sins, face their fears, and be reminded of God's love and what he had done for them. He rescued them from the Egyptians, and he can deliver them from the Midianites too. But more importantly, this no-name prophet reminds the people that it isn't the Midianites that are the real problem, but it's actually their hearts. When I was reading back over this passage of scripture, I stopped when I got to verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. Those two words really stuck out to me, prepared shelters. And I started thinking about all the different kinds of shelters that we prepare. Um, We can prepare physical shelters, emotional shelters, spiritual shelters. There's all different kinds. It doesn't matter what it is, but they all have one thing in common. Shelters are supposed to be temporary. They are temporary until the danger has passed or until you're strong enough to face whatever it is that you were sheltering from. God never intended for shelters to be permanent. And they've been living in these for seven years. I don't know how they managed to do it. I mean, where we live, we get a tornado warning and we're supposed to go to the laundry room. I can't even make it five minutes. Anybody else? I like start getting antsy in there. I'm like, oh, did I forget to get something? Like, do we have an, uh, I just can't do it because we're not supposed to. We are not supposed to live in shelters forever. I don't know what has caused some of you to go into hiding spiritually, but one thing I do know is that God does not want you to stay there. He wants more for you than that. It wasn't just the Midianites that drove the Israelites into the mountains, but their own sin and shame. They weren't just hiding from the enemy either. They were hiding from God too. So what's driven you into hiding? The betrayal of someone that was supposed to love you? Maybe a friend that betrayed you? Harsh words? Fear? Doubt? Sin? Shame? The list is endless. I could go on. Fill in the blank. What, what makes you go into hiding? Whatever the reason, we've retreated. We've retreated into hiding, and we're not just hiding from God. We're hiding from the people that love us, and we're hiding from who God has called us to be. We've retreated into a shelter, and we just never left. Shelters are necessary, but only for a time. Here's the problem. When we stay in our shelters for too long, the shelter just becomes a prison. It becomes a prison where you're held captive by sin, shame, unforgiveness, bitterness, fear, doubt, anxiety. Once again, the list goes on. But you will be held captive if you stay there. I'm thankful that there's one person we can't hide things from. We can't hide it from God. We may be able to hide it from our family, our friends, but you can't hide from him. 
Psalms 139:11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. I think God's light is calling us out of the darkness today because he has plans for us. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for you. But he can't use us if we stay in hiding. Let's go on to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So here's this warrior that God chooses threshing wheat in a wine press. If you guys know anything about growing wheat or how wine is processed, you know the uh, differences a lot. So wheat is often threshed. You want to be out in the open where the wind can carry away the chaff. And whenever you are processing wine, most of the time back in these days, they would dig a huge trench, almost like a big hole in the ground. Because you don't want your grapes to be subject to light. You want it to be cold. It's part of that fermenting process. So they would dig these trenches and they would crush the grapes and they'd want them to stay there. So almost the opposite of what you would want whenever you're supposed to be threshing wheat. But here's Gideon trying to do something. This guy right here is supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. If God's going to send a warrior, I wouldn't think he would be looking like everybody else, right? You think he's supposed to be set apart. He's going to be different. He's going to be the one person that's living holy and doing what God asked him to do. But here he is hiding, just like everybody else, physically and spiritually. And this is why Gideon often gets the reputation of being a coward, right? That's normally what they call him, is that he is a coward, but I gotta be honest, I think people are being a little harsh on Gideon. I don't read about anybody else trying to do something. I mean, he may not be doing it right, but at least he's trying. He's a lot like us. We want to hide, but we still want to be able to do something. It doesn't work that way. Because when we're in hiding, we're just surviving. We're not actually living for God. There's not a lot he can do with us when we want to keep hiding. And so that's what Gideon's doing, trying to do something, but he's just not doing it right. You can't thresh wheat in a wine press. The chafe, the useless part of the wheat, has to be swept away by the wind. But being inside a wine press, Gideon would be surrounded by all the useless pieces. As I was thinking about this, my mind just kind of painted this picture of him trying so hard to do something and these useless pieces, they need to be swept away. You cannot do anything with them. But they're just right there on the floor, all around him. And I thought, man, how many times do we do this to God? He's trying to get rid of stuff in our life. He wants it to just be swept away by the wind. He doesn't want us to use that because it's not usable. And it's just right there around us, and we just keep picking it back up again. Like, oh, God, I don't, but I just, mm, I need that part. I need it. We're holding on to things that God doesn't want us to use. They are useless to us. But I think God is starting to call the warrior out of hiding. The time for all of that is over. Let's go on to verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, 
The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon's first words spoken are ones of doubt. And he asked a question that I've heard so many forms from so many different people. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Or if the Lord loves me, why did he allow me to go through this? Or if God is good, why is everything so bad? We've all been there in that place where we've asked God those questions out of doubt, out of fear, out of pain. At first I thought, how dare Gideon blamed God for everything that has happened to them. But then I had to take a long, hard look at myself, and I realized it's not far from some of the conversations I've had with God. I've sat right here on a Tuesday morning crying out to God for him to just do something in this world that we live in, where sin runs rampant. Truth has become relative. People want to live in a gray area that really just doesn't exist. They want to have a form of morality, but yet be able to do whatever they want. And it's frustrating as a Christian. And I just want God to do something. But I realized if I want God to do something, he might just use me to do it. And he might just use you to do it too. We're a lot more like Gideon than we think. We respond the same when God pulls us out of hiding. But we've been living in it for so long that we can't see how God could possibly use us. Because hiding ruins your perspective. You guys know that feeling? We, we talked about a movie theater, so let's just keep up with that theme. When you've gone to a movie during the day, it's dark in there, and you go towards the exit sign, and someone pushes that door open, and the light just blinds you. You're like, whoa. It's overwhelming, right? It's hard to see. Because you've been in the darkness for so long, it's really hard to be able to look ahead. It's hard to see details. It's hard to just see what's going on. It's because that darkness ruins your perspective. And this is what happened to Gideon. He's been hiding for so long that he can't see clearly. He can't look ahead. His perspective is off. An angel of the Lord has come to him saying, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon starts blaming God. And giving excuses for why he is living the way that he is. But all he knows is weakness. He's been living it for seven years. How could he possibly understand the strength that God can give him? But Gideon's weaknesses are a lot like our own. He overlooked God's justice and man's sin. This one's the hardest one. It's a lot easier to blame God than it is to point the finger at ourselves. It's a lot easier to be like, well, God wasn't there, so I'm justified in being mad. 
I'm justified at being hurt. I am justified in my hiding because God failed me. But when we point the finger at ourselves and realize that it's us, well, then we're like Gideon. Because Gideon just realized he wasted seven years of his life. And when we look at ourselves, we realize we waste a lot of our life too. Times where we could be doing something. We're also a lot like Gideon in the fact that he wants to believe in God. You can almost feel it in his words, but that fear has seeped in deep. He's hurting. He's frightened. And maybe more than anything, Gideon just doesn't understand. It was hard for him to believe in the presence of God and the possibility of relief for his country because the troubles of the time seemed to preclude all hope. He wants to blame God for abandoning them, but at the same time wants to see God do something great to deliver them. I feel Gideon so much in that, just wanting so bad to see God do something. I'm constantly just praying, God, do what only you can do. God, do a miracle. God, prove yourself. Show people who you are. But at the same time, we get really short-sighted because you turn on the news, you go outside. It is just depressing. It is a depressing world that we live in, and it causes our perspective to be off. We become very short-sighted of the things that God wants to do. Gideon's thoughts against himself kept him from seeing what God saw. Gideon just saw himself as someone trying to thresh wheat in a wine press. But God saw an opportunity to display his strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You know I would, God, but it's my family. You don't understand. They are the weakest clan in Manasseh. And, and I'm the smallest. Excuses. Excuses. And we give them to God all the time. Gideon thought he could do nothing because he truly believed that he was nothing. He had no riches, no influence, no soldiers, and no perspective. But for every excuse that he came up with, God gave him an answer for the source of his strength. God is with you. The Lord tells him this twice in this exchange. The first time he says God is with you. God is with you right now in this moment, in this present time. You are not lost to God. He sees you where you're hiding. He sees you in the darkness. He sees you when it feels like the whole world is closing in. He sees you right now and he is with you. And then he says it again, not that he is with you, but that I will be with you in verse 16 for the time to come. He's not just going to be with you now and then abandon you when your life gets good or when you get strong. He will be with you from this moment on. He will be with you. His favor is on you. Verse 14 in the King James Version says, and the Lord looked up on him. What that meant was that the favor of the Lord is on you. The favor of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon has a quote for this passage of scripture. It says, the Lord had looked might into him, and he had now nothing to do but to use it. It may be that the Lord has more to do by me than I ever dreamed of. If he has looked upon me, 
He has made me strong. Let me by faith exercise the power with which he has entrusted. May our weaknesses not just be excuses. May they be opportunities for God to display his strength. He can and he will use you. Paul says it perfectly in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our weaknesses are nothing when they meet God's strength. But until they meet God's strength, they are weaknesses. And they will remain weaknesses. He was commanded to do it. Go in the strength you have, am I not sending you? God didn't ask anyone else. He asked Gideon. And Gideon wasn't special. He was just like everyone else. And he asked him to do it. He wants to give you the strength to do something, too. I love this quote. I actually have it up in my office. It's from A.W. Tozer. It says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity. We plan to do only the things that we can do by ourselves. If we think about what the Israelites have done at this point, all they've done is prepared shelters but they've never had any intention of leaving. They're not really living. They're just surviving. All Gideon had managed to do was try to thresh wheat in a wine press. They weren't really doing much of anything. They weren't, they weren't thriving. They weren't doing great things for God. And then we see Gideon come up with these excuses Oh, but why would you send me? I mean, my family's nobody. I'm a nobody. How many times do we do that? God, you can possibly be sending me. You couldn't possibly be changing me. You don't want me to change my family. It's, it's got to be him that changes. Or God, I'm just waiting on her to change. Or God, I'm just waiting on them to do it. There's a higher probability that God is sending you. He wants to use you. Verse 17, Gideon replied, If I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephod flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and the tip of the staff that was, with, that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, 
Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. This doesn't seem like a very significant point in the story. And that's why I really jumped into it, because most of the people associate Gideon with the battle, right? But in order to go into battle, something else has to happen before. And this is the before. This is the really, really important part. Gideon is finally clued in to who he's been having a conversation with this whole time. This was no angel that Gideon was speaking with. It was Christ. He's talking with Jesus himself. Gideon was so terrified that he had seen the Lord face to face that he thought he was going to die. And then Jesus says to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Out of all the things that Jesus could equip Gideon with before this mission that he is sending him on, he equips him with peace? Peace before you go into battle. Does anybody else find that just interesting? It doesn't really fit. They don't really go together. If anything, you would think that Gideon would build an altar there and call it something like, the Lord is my victory, or God is my strength. The Lord is is my peace. And I realized something. We're not going to talk about that battle that Gideon goes to because as of right now, that battle is not important. Because the most important battle that Gideon won is this one. Right here, where he comes face to face with Jesus, and Jesus gives him peace. That's the most important thing that Christ could give him, because hiding keeps you from peace, and peace is really important. When I spent time thinking about Gideon having a conversation with Jesus, I realized that peace was the one thing that Gideon needed after living in hiding for the last seven years. Now, it's probably been many years since any of you guys have played the childhood game of hide-and-seek. But if you can think back to that time when it was your turn to hide, it was, uh, it, it caused a little anxiety, Right? You're supposed to go find this place to hide in the dark, and then you're just sitting there waiting for someone to come and find you. All you can think about when you're in there is, okay, who's coming? When are they going to be here? So you're just kind of like sitting here in this dark place like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, when is it going to happen? It causes you anxiety. So is it any wonder that that is what Jesus gives Gideon after hiding for seven years? He gives him peace. The Prince of Peace gives him peace because that is who he is. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Or John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Is there trouble in this world? Is it overwhelming sometimes? Jesus gives you peace. Jesus gives you peace. Because Jesus knew whatever troubles lay ahead for Gideon, his peace would get him through it. Peace that cancels out every doubt, 
every fear, every failure, peace that he is going to need because Gideon's life is about to become really uncomfortable. And the most important thing for Gideon to know is to be at peace with God because sometimes being at peace with God will mean being uncomfortable in other areas of our life. Sometimes peace with God does not equate to peace in your family. Sometimes peace at God does not always equate to peace in the workplace or peace with your friends. But peace with God has got to be our priority. Somewhere down the line, we traded off peace with God to be at peace with the world. And that's not what God wants. That's what the Israelites did. And it's not working out for them very well. Verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than during the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon's son of Joash did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubel. That day saying, Let Baal contend with him. So my last point, Daniel, I'm closing. If you'd want to come up, that would be wonderful. Hiding keeps you comfortable in your uncomfortableness. Gideon had grown comfortable in the way that he was living, even though it was a miserable way to live. He was comfortable, comfortable in hiding, comfortable in his doubts and fear, and comfortable with abandoning God for idol worship. It was his own father that built that altar to Baal. So the first battle that Gideon is to fight was against his own family. The Lord is testing his commitment because if you can't live it at home, you won't be able to live it anywhere else. If you can't prove it to your own family that you've changed, good luck proving it to anybody else. Gideon just surrendered himself. That was the first part of the battle. Now he has to go into his home and fight for the sins of his family? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to step up in your family? Sacrifice for their sins? Do something different? Do what is right? So the first task took moral courage, not physical courage. Usually works that way with God. 
We have to fight a moral battle before we can do anything else. And the Lord takes him back to where it all started to go wrong. The first commandment, you guys say it with me, you shall have no other gods before me. It was God's desire for the Israelites to stand out among all other nations for being a monotheistic nation to worship only one God. And every time that they abandoned this commandment, they got into trouble. So this is where the battle keeps going for Gideon. You know, I think it was kind of funny. A few moments before, Gideon was just giving God excuses as to why he couldn't do something. Now, all of a sudden, it says Gideon has ten servants that are helping him. When we make peace with God, all of a sudden, everything else kind of starts to, to come together. We make all these excuses, and then we surrender to God, and all those things that were excuses, we find out we're just lies from the enemy, and God can use us. So Gideon takes the second bull. I don't know if you guys noticed the significance in that bull being seven years old, same amount of time that they have been in hiding. And then he's to sacrifice it on the wood of the cut-down Asherah pole. That was another god that many of the eastern peoples would worship where the old altar used to be. I think God might be trying to prove a point here. It's time to sacrifice and put to death that old way of living. No more idol worship, no more fear, no more doubt, and no more hiding. That's why you had to do it out in the public. God said the time for that is over. We have to do it so all the people will see it. Everyone. And this is where it got me. This is where God got me really good and uncomfortable. So we did a study in youth not too long ago where we talked about the Ten Commandments. And I asked a question to the students if they believed that America was still a monotheistic or a polytheistic nation. We went back and forth a few times. We definitely agreed that we have way too many idols before God. But one thing we settled on was that America is still a monotheistic country, but don't applaud because we don't serve the one true God anymore. We serve one God, but it has become the God of self. Self has become the God that we serve. We are enslaved to ourselves in a self-help world, in a me, always about me. How can I help myself culture that we live in? We've replaced God with ourselves. It would be easier for me to tell you that your TV, your job, your phone, your fill-in-the-blank is before God. Because it's just a thing. But it's a lot harder when I tell you you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself on the altar before. I assure you what Gideon did, cutting down an Asherah pole and taking down the old altar to Baal is easy compared to what we have to do today. Because those gods didn't even exist. And here we are, we're existing, and we keep putting ourselves before God. So what you have to do is you have to sacrifice yourself on the altar before God. And how do I know that we need to do this? How do I know we have to put God back in his rightful place? Because we have become so comfortable living in a world that should make us very uncomfortable. 
We should be really uncomfortable in the world that we live in. We have traded peace with God for being at peace with the world. Peace with God for being at peace with the world. We do it all the time. All the time. When we have an opportunity to tell somebody to speak truth and we don't because we're worried that we would offend them. We care more about what other people think than what God thinks. We're comfortable with sin, period. We allow it into our lives. We allow it into our homes. And we allow it into our children. So maybe, maybe this world that we live in is just a world that we've allowed to happen. With an overlook here, I just one more time there. It's, it's a not big deal here. Every compromise makes us more comfortable with sin. So now here we are. I thought this was pretty funny. Trying to hide from a world that we created. We're hiding from a world that we created. The Israelites were hiding from a world that they created. And we're crying out for God to do something. When God commanded Gideon to tear down the altar, he did it. He knew what it meant. He could very well be disowned for his act of obedience. He could have been killed. He was disobedient against his father, but you know what he cared about most? Was being obedient to his heavenly father. All of a sudden, he made peace with God, and he realized that peace had to be his priority, that nothing else mattered. Peace with his family didn't matter. Peace with God is what mattered. I mean, he did it at night out of fear, but... We can't be too harsh on Gideon. God just called him out of hiding, and old habits die hard sometimes. But he did it. He dealt with the sins of himself, the sins of his family, and the sins of the people. He feared what the people would do to him, but he did it anyways, and God worked it all out. If anything, it seemed to awaken a conviction back into his father. He goes as far as defending Gideon and defending God. And I loved that the people called Gideon Jerubabel. Let Baal contend with him. For every day that Gideon lived after that, he defied Baal and proved the one true God. The people just needed someone to stand up for what was right, to tear down all that was unholy and rebuild an altar to remind them of who they were supposed to be and of who God is. I think God's calling us out of hiding this morning. I've been feeling this so much in my spirit, praying that God would just use me, and I feel like he's been telling me, then you need to stop hiding. Stop hiding from this world. You're hiding from me too. I can't use you when you're hiding. What are we so scared of? What is it that we are so afraid of? What has retreated us into hiding? What is it for you this morning? Is it hurt, unforgiveness, pain? Fill in the blank. What is it that causes you to retreat into hiding? Come out this morning. Come out of hiding. Let God restore you. Let God heal you. It's what he wants to do. Or maybe you find yourself like Gideon. You want to be used by God, but maybe your weaknesses just seem to be too much. Surrender this morning to God's strength. Or is it peace? Have you forsaken peace with God to live at peace with the world? 
do you find yourself compromising again and again? And maybe that's what put you into hiding. You stopped going to church because your spouse didn't want you to go, or you stopped going to church because nobody else in your family believed. You compromised peace with God to be at peace with others. Or maybe that last point got you. I need to sacrifice myself before God this morning. I need to sacrifice myself because I put myself before God again and again and again. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads this morning. If you, that's you this morning, if you've been hiding, if God is speaking to you, I, I know God is speaking to somebody this morning. Several people have said almost the exact same thing up here. And the worship team had no idea what I was preaching about this morning. Is there any this morning? You've been hiding from God. You've been hiding. If that's you, please raise your hand. If you've been hiding from God, he's been calling you out of hiding. Maybe you prepared a shelter and maybe it was a good thing in the beginning. It was necessary. But maybe it's time for you to move on. Maybe it's time to let God heal you. Or maybe you want to be used by God, but you just feel weak. Maybe God just called you out of hiding. Maybe your perspective is off and you just don't know how God could possibly use you. Is that any of you this morning? You want God to use you, but you need his strength to help you. Or maybe you've forsaken peace with God to live at peace with the world. Is that anyone this morning? You've been feeling it. Other things in your life might be okay, but you are disturbed in your spirit because you do not have peace with God. Thank you. Anybody else? My last one. If you feel like you have put yourself before God, if you need time to come this morning, you need to sacrifice yourself on the altar of God and you need to put him back in his rightful place. Is that anyone this morning? Is that anyone? If you raised your hand this morning, I'm going to ask you to be bold, and I'm going to ask you to come to the front. It's what God called Gideon to do. He told him to step out. He told him to come to the front. I'm my prayer team. If you guys could just be ready to pray with anybody that comes forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, we just come before you this morning. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for calling us out of hiding. Thank you for making us strong. Thank you for giving us peace this morning. Oh, God, I just pray for any that have been hiding, Lord God, hiding from the will that you have for their life, hiding from their calling. Lord, I just pray, God, call them out, Lord. Call them out of hiding and bring them back into the light, Lord. Show them, God, that you want to use them. You want to do great things, but they have to surrender, God. They have to stop the old way of living, Lord, and they have to come to a new way of living. Lord, for any, God, that their weaknesses just seem to be too much, God, remind them of the strength that they have in you, God. That you, Lord God, are the source of their strength. That your Holy Spirit, Lord God, will strengthen them and help them. Oh, God, and for any, Lord that they are not at peace with you. God, I pray, Lord, that their spirits would continue to be disturbed until they find peace with you, God. That they would stop forsaking peace with you for peace with the world, Lord. 
God, and I pray for any, Lord, that have put themselves before you, God. All of us are guilty of it. We've all done it, Lord. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not keeping you in your rightful place. God, let us put back where you belong. Number one, Lord God, number one in our lives, number one in our homes, number one in our kids, God. Lord, we surrender to you this morning. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.